we've talked about this a few times, and I thought this was an interesting perspective. We've talked about immigration and um, how it's, uh, you know, it's a focus of what we're doing in this country for good reason, right? We can't talk about a labor shortage um, and, and how we're going to deal with it. Uh, without talking about immigration. And we know the federal government has dramatically ramped up the uh, targets for how many people we welcome to this country. And uh, it's going to have a profound impact on Canada going forward. We're talking about a half million people a year um, by 2025. That's the goal. That's the target. That's what we're setting as uh, where we would like to be in just a few years. That's going to have an impact in a lot of different areas. So we're going to chat now with Ken Coates, who is a distinguished fellow and director of the Indigenous Affairs Program at Macdonald Laurier Institute and a Canada Research Chair at the University of Saskatchewan about this topic. Uh, Ken, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. Delighted to be with you. You know, when we talk about that, a half million people a year coming into Canada, country of our size, that is not an insignificant number, is it? I mean, that will have an impact. Oh, it's a huge one. I mean, it's basically um, somewhat bigger in scale than what we had when when the West was settled back in the early part of the 21st, 20th century. You know, we were bringing the people who settled Alberta and Saskatchewan and all that sort of stuff, right? So this is this is big news. And and I guess the thing it gets to me is is we haven't been very thoughtful as a country about the size and the scale and the impact of this on Canada. And of course, it could be very profound. We're going to change this country from top to bottom, and we're letting it happen without a lot of a lot of thought and certainly not very much conversation. So let's talk about a couple different areas. First of all, and I don't think we take a look at the politics so much. We, we know, I mean, there's, there's a focus to try and get them spread out more across the country when they are, but we know ultimately they end up in big population centres, right? And that drives a lot of what happens politically in this country. It, more than we ever we, we admit, you know, we, we're in a yeah. transition basically to a situation where we're going to have a what I describe as a city-state economy. Basically, pick the, the six biggest communities in the country. So this it might include Edmonton, certainly includes Calgary, doesn't include Saskatchewan or Saskatoon or Regina, but these are the biggest cities. Basically, they're dominating our political process now. Um, almost all the governments we're going to have going forward will be people who are successfully elected in Vancouver in Calgary, uh, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. Um, Basically, the Maritimes, the Prairie West, for the most part, is basically locked out of this process. That's a really important transition. Um, And when you realize that 500,000 people a year means that every two years you're bringing in as many Canadians as there are in the province of Saskatchewan, more than there are in the province of Nova Scotia or New Brunswick, uh, double the 500,000 is the population of Newfoundland, Everywhere else except the cities are becoming less relevant in in the process. And and what that does over time is the number of seats in the House of Commons will follow this. The composition of the people who are elected in those ridings will change. Um, I don't say this is a bad thing. This could be a really good thing if we did it thoughtfully. And I'm, I'm always really struck by the much more thoughtful approach that Australia takes to immigration than, than Canada. But I think the main thing for us to worry about is that the small towns and rural areas of this country already being depopulated will not be repopulated by this uh, this immigration surge. It just won't happen given our current arrangements. And, and, and you're right. I mean, that's something that we don't talk a lot about and how much of an impact it has. Um, and you know, what? We the other thing we don't talk about, we talk about all the great things that, and, and I think we all agree, uh, immigration is, is overall a benefit to us in, in so many ways, especially with the labor shortage we're facing. But we don't talk a lot about the fact that, you know what, when you're bringing a half million people into the country, they require things. That puts a, a, a you know a, an added burden, if you want to call it, uh, especially on these cities where ultimately they end up. All kinds of services are required. 
Well, you know, and you're absolutely right. I think that's a great way to put it. The, um, the they require not just a lot of things; they require more things, uh, at least for the first decade or so. So you have a real pressure on on everything from sort of immigration services, um, language programs, uh, jo- job search sort of efforts and processes, trying to get people into the workforce, recredentialing people, recognizing international credentials, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you have huge transitions. You bring in people from around the world. Fabulous. Um, but sometimes the children are coming out with a different language and coming into the high school and elementary school system, having to adjust on the fly when they're either you know five or six years old or maybe 14 or 15 years old. That's a huge transition. And when you look at what happens to some of the immigrant populations, particularly in the big cities, their educational performance lags a, a far way behind. We have this idea that, that immigrant children come in and they're, they're hyper-motivated mo- to do well in school. They end up dominating the entry class at some of our major universities, particularly in the sciences. But that's only part of that population. Another very substantial part of that population struggles to get out of high school. Um, and so they're really co- causing real challenges in the school system with counseling services and training programs and language programs and things of that sort. Then add in the really significant health costs. When you bring in a family, um, we have a family reunification program. So that if you bring in somebody who, say, is an engineer, um, fabulous. They come in and they can actually fit in nicely into the Alberta economy and get a job and all that sort of stuff. But they're very quickly going to be applying to bring their extended family with them, which might include some elderly people. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a, a double sort of burden on the healthcare system. And it's not just the extra bodies. We're screaming right now we don't have enough doctors, nor enough services to go around. Wait until you add half a million people a year to that process. Um, but then you have you know, whole questions of, of, of language, translation, mm-hmm. cultural sort of differences. These are really important things. And, and, and my, my commentary was not based on let's not have immigration. Right. My comment was based on let's have thoughtful immigration. Let's make sure that it serves the purpose of the country. Let, let me leave you with an interesting thought uh, to, to ponder. In the United Kingdom right now, just starting this year, there's been a movement to disestablish the Church of England as as the church of record within the country as a whole. So the the member the people in the in England who in the United Kingdom who are members of the Church of England is now less than half the population. And so there's people sort of saying, okay, enough of this already. We have actually almost as many people who have no religion as the ones who have Church of England membership. So there's a movement afoot to sort of say, okay, let's break away this tie. Well, well that tie just happens to be hundreds of years old. Yeah. And, of course, it's, it's deeply tied into the parliamentary system, into the history and the culture of the place. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, but, but it's sort of happening without thought and without care and without planning. Um, and when you do that, you say, okay, well, what do you have left as a country? If you sort of strip away sort of those core assumptions and core foundation foundational principles. And again, Australia does a better job of essentially saying, we love immigrants from around the world. Come here, we'll train you, we'll give you opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but by the way, when you come to Australia, you're coming here to be Australians. Um, so don't, don't come here thinking you can reproduce your own society. Um, you can do whatever you want in your home and your own community, but, but don't expect the system as a whole to change uh, you know, just because you're here. Right. Canada works on a very different model. It says essentially, you know, our, our prime minister loves to say this, you know, diversity is our strength. And maybe diversity may be a huge weakness when people sort of no longer share common assumptions, no longer basically adhere to the same principles and same concepts. We could see our country change very dramatically, maybe for the better, 
maybe for the worse, but not thoughtfully. Yeah, and let's go in. Exactly. Let's have some thought. Let's have some structure around that. Ken, uh, great discussion. Thank you so much for being here. You're more than welcome. Take care. That is Ken Coates, who is a, a distinguished fellow and director of the Indigenous Affairs Program at the McDonald Laurier Institute and a Canada Research Chair at the University of Saskatchewan. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think French fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.